0: Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins with North Christian Church. This is part 76 of The Lord is Our Confidence. Let's open up in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. In this unique way, Father, thank you for allowing us to fellowship, to come together, to break bread, the very bread of life that is the Word of God. Thank you for keeping us together in spirit, Father. During these times, we're just so blessed by it, by that big picture perspective that you uh, intend to impart to our souls, Father. What a blessing it's been. Father, thank you for your patience, your grace, your mercy, your love. With these things in mind, we pray for those in the congregation that are maybe backsliding even, maybe uh, falling away, maybe falling prey to the temptation of not keeping up with these messages, Father. We pray for them. We pray that you humble them in whatever way is necessary, Father, even if it's hardship or difficulties or sadness, even as your word says. Let that joy be turned into sadness. If that's what is required, Father, this is what we pray for. We pray also for the ill in the congregation who uh, are just hurting. And uh, we pray that this message among the others makes it to them that they be comforted by it. We pray also for those still lost in this world, Father, that are without hope and that suffer the throes of spiritual death. That they be humbled and receive saving faith. And partake in all the goodness and the joy that we have in this moment, Father. Knowing that we are members of your son's body. Your children, even. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to make a time like this a reality. We do just pray that this message be edifying for our souls. We ask for your blessings on it. And we ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this is part 76 of The Lord is Our Confidence. Fantastic series, folks. I hope you've been enjoying it as much as I have. Uh, Here's a friendly reminder from the Spirit based on the last couple of messages. Go to Galatians 2, verse 20. Galatians 2, verse 20. Friendly reminder, just get a situated Again, uh, a lot of what I'm going to review here or what the Spirit's going to amplify here in this message began on Sunday with the Resurrection Sunday special message. What a wonderful, wonderfully placed message that was. Galatians 2 verse 20. This is Paul writing, of course. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Talk about spiritual phenomena, right? I have been crucified with Christ. That means to be put to death with him. It is no longer uh, I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Let me give you the uh, Amplified as well. Galatians 2.20 in the Amplified up here on the board. I have been crucified with Christ, that is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. In him I have shared his crucifixion. That's a believer's statement. Again, I have been crucified with Christ, that is, in him I have shared in his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want to take pause and and say something that I think needs saying once in a while. Let's reflect for a moment. You know, we shouldn't need times and seasons to remind us of something as profound as our resurrection life In Christ Jesus. We really shouldn't. Same goes for Christmas. Each time Christmas comes around and, you know, there's buzz and there's this and that. And people are using the Lord's name. And I'm not detracting from true joy. I'm not detracting from the celebration itself. But do we really need seasons and marked out times on calendars Mm -hmm. to remind us of the most profound aspects of our faith? such as the resurrection of of Jesus Christ and our partaking in said resurrection? Same with Christmas, of course. Why does it take us a halt in our busy schedules to stop and appreciate something as fundamental as the birth of our Lord or his resurrection? It really shouldn't, should it? I mean, shouldn't we be living in these realities isn't that what we're called to do? To live in these realities? Doesn't the Bible say that we are to put on Christ? Go to Romans 13, verse 11. Romans 13, verse 11. Shouldn't we be living these things regardless of the time of year? Doesn't the Bible say we are to put on Christ? Romans 13, verse 11. Paul again in his major discourse in Romans, Romans thirteen eleven. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on, that's that Greek word in duo, put on, the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. As the, You see the imagery, I hope. Put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly in that light as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. And here's our key verse, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, same Greek word, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've looked at that word many times in duo. It means to wear, to don like clothing. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Again, the Greek word for put on is in the aorist imperative, which means that we are to do it once at salvation and do it forevermore do it once at salvation and keep on doing it to in other words by the strength of God's power we have positionally put on Jesus Christ when we're saved but we need to keep remembering the truth of it so that we make no provision for the flesh and that's the idea behind the heiress imperative the imperative means it's a command right the eras means it points back to something that happened that was completed uh, in some premi- previous time frame, if you would, but the reality remains. And so we're, by the strength of God's power, we have positionally put on Christ at salvation. But we, the, the call to action, if you would, is that we need to keep remembering the truth so that we don't make room for the flesh or make no provision for the flesh, as Paul wrote it. Again, the point the Spirit's making here relates back to this past week's messages, and specifically, that we really ought to be living a life that is ever mindful of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as in always. This is how we ought to be living, always. It really shouldn't take, you know, special celebrations for us to enjoy, to, quote, put on Christ Jesus Each and every morning, we ought to pray to God for His guidance on perspective. That's how we do this thing. Lord, give me the strength, give me the whereof, all, give me the guidance to put on Jesus Christ appropriately, to walk in a manner worthy of that which I've been called in Him. What He will always do when we pray to Him, what He will always do for us is remind us of the following which is why I love this uh, passage so much, up here on the board. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always. How do you do that? Well, it begins with remembering his cross, his resurrection, the entire gospel how God saved you, how God managed to cross that otherwise insurmountable, that, uh, that, that roadblock between ourselves and salvation, how he managed by grace to solve that problem, to cross that chasm and pluck us out of the throes of death. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh, a la Romans 13, 14, then you live this passage on the board. I hope you see it. When you put on Jesus Christ, you live this passage. And guess what? You are blessed for it. You are blessed. So that's all the, that's the, you know, the point the Spirit's making here. And probably why he's making it a whole week later, after the Resurrection Sunday message has come and gone. Uh, Hence, Paul's attitude, for example, up here on the board. Again, Galatians 2.20, this is how we started in the Amplified. I have been crucified with Christ, that is, in him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith by adhering to, relying on, and completely trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20 is like a picture of a person who's living the resurrection life. Do you see it? I hope you do. When he says, I've been crucified, that means he went to the grave. He's been buried with Jesus Christ. But he also taught, He's been resurrected with Jesus Christ. So Galatians 2.20 is like a picture of a person who's living that thing we call the resurrection life. Who, a person who's simply elated to be alive and saved. And you know, that's all it should ever take for us to have a quick change of perspective. I hope you agree. I think the greatest way to amplify the work that Jesus Christ performed on the cross is the work he performed in overcoming death in his resurrection. Let me say that again. Arguably, I think the greatest way to amplify the work that Jesus Christ performed on the cross is the work he performed in overcoming death in his resurrections. In other words, may I suggest... Now, please listen up. I've been just as guilty of this in the past. You don't see... As I was writing this, I was thinking... I can't remember the last time I saw a t-shirt, a Christian t-shirt that said something about the resurrection, other than maybe on, you know, Resurrection Sunday. Most of the t-shirts show the cross. Um, May I suggest that some of you think a tad broader when you think about Jesus Christ? Is it fair to say that we tend to focus only on the punishment for our sins, And I'm not belittling the cross, may it never be. But is it fair to say that that's our focal point? That we tend to focus more heavily even on the punishment for our sins that he took? Is it fair though to say that our focus tends to be a little narrower than the fullness of the gospel, the whole gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, let me put it this way. Is the cross the only element of the gospel? No, not at all. The gospel includes the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For if he stayed in the grave, the implication would have been that he never conquered death, right? But isn't that the salvific plan of God for us? That we are to overcome death itself? Yeah. If he stayed in the grave, the implication is that he would have never conquered death. And what does the Bible tell us about a faith that depends on a Jesus that couldn't rise from the dead? What does the Bible tell us? Here's a reminder. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ it doesn't say if Christ didn't go to the cross. You see, you see the distinction here? If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Do you see how integral Christ's resurrection is to the gospel itself? I hope so. The Bible clearly states that without the resurrection, we'd be stuck in our sins. The encouragement coming from this pulpit right now isn't to change your focus from the cross, but rather simply to step back and see the whole work the whole work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And think about it when you when you are commanded or called to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you want to put on the whole of him? I think so. The entire way that leads to life. Not just is not just the payment for sin. So I hope you see what the spirit's saying here. There's a lot of goodness in this perspective because it gives us even more confidence than if we cling to a narrower perspective about our salvation. There's so very much that Jesus accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. That's the point the spirit's making. Don't, you know, don't pigeonhole your thinking just to the cross. And again, I'm not relating to the cross may it never be, right? While on earth he said, he was going, uh, where he was going, or what he was going to do several times, for example. Go to uh, John 2, verse 19. John 2, verse 19. Again, while he was on earth, he said what he was going to do, including the resurrection. John 2, verse 19. And this is just another reason Another reason why our confidence should soar at the very thought of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he conquered death. John 2.19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Can you imagine the joy his disciples had when they actually saw him in the flesh after his resurrection? Can you imagine what that must have been like? And then he became the, the, the living proof point. Of things that he had prophesied, as we just saw in John 2, he became the living proof point for their faith. The linchpin then, really, to the things that he said, the great confidence that we're able to have in the gospel itself really does rest on the historical fact of his physical resurrection. Again, just please do yourselves a big favor and and broaden, broaden your thinking if not already to include the resurrection in your conceptualization of the gospel itself just broaden it to include when you think about things to be grateful for uh, when you think about 1 Thessalonians 5 what is it about the gospel well it's more than just the, the cross is stupendous that's enough granted but there's more And it includes the resurrection. So I suggest I'm encouraging you. The Spirit obviously is encouraging you to broaden your thinking. You'll have that much more to be grateful for. And you'll have that much more confidence in your own faith and the hope beset before you. So don't just pigeonhole your thoughts to the cross. As magnificent as it is, according to the Bible, the cross would have been for naught had Jesus never been raised from the dead. And I hope you don't take that the wrong way. Uh, It's kind of a silly argument because it would imply that somewhere along the line, Jesus could have failed and God could have failed, but you get the point. Just to finish out our review of Thursday's message, go to Romans 6, verse 9. Romans 6, verse 9. Again, just to finish out our review of Thursday's message, Romans 6, verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, again, this is our blessed hope, my friends. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, And alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I gave you some food for thought on uh, Thursday on this phrase, dead to sin, because it can be a bit confusing for some people. So let's review it again up here on the board, dead to sin. Think about this phrase from the perspective of sin. Sin looking back at you. You used to be animated. You used to be alive to it. It used to be able to control you, to even motivate you from point A to point B. I hope you see, uh, sin was your, for lack of better, visual, your puppeteer, right? It it moved you. It motivated you because you were in that realm and it you were you were alive to it. Think about dead to sin from the perspective of sin. A believer is no longer, quote, alive in that realm anymore. Just like we were born dead from God's perspective, once saved, we are alive to God in Christ Jesus, but dead to sin. Again, sin cannot control us anymore. We are like inanimate objects. I just wanted to give you some clarity on that. Again, Romans 6:11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is incredible news, my friends. Incredible news. News that we can hang our hats on forevermore. Sin no longer has any claim over us. Why? Because as the Bible said, says the sting of death is sin. That's 1 Corinthians 15 56, as you might remember. But in Christ Jesus, we have overcome death itself, and therefore sin. As Paul wrote about this, uh, go to Colossians uh, one thirteen. Colossians one thirteen. We have overcome death itself, and therefore sin itself. Even though our bodies are uh, haunted by sin, that's not the point. Positionally, we have every right. We are no longer in the realm of of sin, we no longer identify with sin. Colossians 1:13 this shows the movement that we talked about uh before last week even from being delivered from point A to point B. Colossians 1:13 He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption Now, on Thursday, we noted how this big, pers- big picture perspective, Colossians 1, 13 to 17, that's big picture, right? That shows that grand movement, that grand plan that God had for salvation. It's opened up in verse 13. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's the plan of God for salvation. So on Thursday, we took this big picture picture perspective, and noted that it delivers us unto supreme confidence in the Lord. Up here on the board, 1 Peter 1, 3 in the Amplified, blessed, gratefully praised, and adored be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant and boundless mercy has caused us to be born again, that is to be reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, and set apart for his purposes to an ever-living hope and confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This was Peter writing this, to an ever-living hope and confident assurance through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Again, that just amplifies everything we've been learning this past week or so, stepping back again, it seems almost a crime not to live this way, doesn't it? If you have a living hope set before you based on the veracity of Jesus Christ himself, based on the truthfulness of his work and his resurrection, it seems almost criminal not to live in it, doesn't it? And yet, Truth be told, there are a lot of so-called Christians out there right now that are miserable, stressed out, backbiting, murmuring, complaining, anxious, and above all, living in fear. Living in fear. That does sounds nothing like what Peter wrote on the board to an ever-living hope and confident assurance versus living in fear? Why? Well, the Spirit's been giving us one recurring principle that is at the root of all of it. Here it is. If you want deliverance from fear, then obey the Word of God. That's it, my friends. I can't teach you a better principle than that. If you want to be delivered delivered from fear, then obey the word of God. Here's the sister principle we've been getting. God is in control. If he's in control, then guess what? His commands are perfect. Let me go back. If you want deliverance from fear, then obey the word of God. God is in control. If he's in control, then his commands are perfect. I hope you see the connective tissue there. His commands are perfect. That means anything good that could come in this life comes from obedience to Him because He's perfect. His commands are perfect. When we disobey, we move back into the realm of spiritual death experientially and therefore we live in misery and anxiety and fear. Let me ask you a question. Who are we supposed to fear in this world? Man? The kingdom of darkness? Neither is true. Neither is true. Here's the truth that sets you free. Go to Proverbs 1, verse 7. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The question on the board, or the question on the table, is who are we supposed to fear? Or what are we supposed to fear in this world? Man, the kingdom of darkness, I don't know. What does the world uh, propose we fear? Well, here's the truth that sets us free. Proverbs 1, 7. Plain English, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, the kingdom of darkness will persistently try to distract you from this very truth. It does everything it can to distract you from this very truth. It will tempt you to supplant righteous fear of your creator and place it in worldly machinations or devilish schemes. That's the ruse, though, my friends. You see? That's the ruse. That's the lie. That's the lie. Supplant righteous fear of your Creator and place it on other things or other beings even. That's the big lie. And as I've taught you so many times in the past, it's these lies from the kingdom of darkness that run counter to the command we considered earlier put on the lord jesus christ in romans 13:14 these lies say no 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 take them off put on worldly perspective put on the worldly lies don yourselves with lies so that you feel naked and exposed and weak and wretched and fearful and all these things these are the lies from the kingdom of darkness that run counter to commands like the one we saw, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our intention. And when those temptations give birth to sin, Allah James 1.15, we are ushered experientially back to the throes of death. Right back to where the Lord delivered us from. We walk right back. For no reason, because the one that's leading us, the one that's got captivity over us, has no right to it. We've we've given it to them. The truth is that we shouldn't even be there. We shouldn't be back at the throes of death. We shouldn't even be there. It's like, here's a good analogy, it's like a believer heading over to a party that's celebrating the Antichrist. We have no business whatsoever being at that party. That's what it's like, though. It's like one of us going over to celebrate the Antichrist. What business do we have there being at that party? Nor do we have any business willingly subjecting ourselves to the throes of death. That's the whole point. What are we doing? We have no business being there. We know what the end result is. We end up in the throes of spiritual death, again, experientially. We end up sowing misery. God is not mocked. What a man reaps, he will sow. Uh, we, we take ourselves there, willingly. We know the end product. We know what the fruit of ungodliness wields. We know what that is. Uh, and yet, we willingly do it. Because we buy lies. We buy are open. We open ourselves up to them. We 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 flirt with the world system of thinking. And before we know it, we're seduced. And the next thing you know, we look back a couple of months and we're like, how did I get here? How am I so miserable? Why am I in fear? I should be standing tall right now. Why am I in fear? The answer is you're disobeying The holy God of the universe. The answer is you've probably left the word of God somewhere on a shelf somewhere in your soul. If not physically in terms of a Bible collecting dust on your shelf. Something along those lines has happened. You willingly subject yourselves to the throes of death. When we believe the lies of the kingdom of darkness, we are ushered back to an estate we were delivered from at salvation. And we lose the blessings in time that we have God given access to, like peace and confidence, for example, in the Lord. Go to Proverbs 14 26. Proverbs 14 26. We lose the blessings, the God given blessings, like peace and confidence when we do this very thing. Proverbs 14 26. This is what the word of God has to say about what the spirit's teaching us right now. Proverbs 14:26 reads, "In the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence. When you fear the Lord, you have confidence, and his children will have a refuge." The fear verse 27, "The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death." I just described the snares of death to you, being seduced back to where that which that place in which you came from, which is ridiculous. The fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, uh his knowing that his commands are perfect, knowing that he's in control, fearing him to the degree where you obey him. That is a fountain of life. That one may turn away from the snares of death. This is what confidence is in the Lord looks like, my friends, confidence in the correct light is actually a very simple place to arrive at. Listen up. It's actually not, a, it's not rocket science. Confidence in the correct light is actually a very simple place to arrive at. The world lies to you and tells you, listen up, because I know for a fact, a lot of people suffer from this very malady. The world lies to you and tells you that confidence is something you have to work at to prove to yourself and to others through acts of courage and displays of intellect and such. That's what you have to work at. That's all foolishness, complete garbage. The Bible tells us that our confidence comes from Jesus Christ from being placed in union with him through the baptism of the Holy Spirit at salvation. That's very different. In this case, we haven't done anything. We haven't done anything. There's no merit to our account whatsoever. That's exactly the opposite of what the world tells you. There's nothing to work for in God's grace plan. There's everything to work for in the world's plan. So in the case of God we haven't done anything we haven't had to prove ourselves to anyone God has done all the work for us by grace That you know that system of thinking simply doesn't resonate with a world that runs on a currency we call creature credit Up here on the board where do we find our confidence listen up Grace and creature credit are antithetical. They're opposites. They don't mix. Grace and creature credit are antithetical. They are what I call currencies in opposing economies, gods versus satans. Abide in God's economy and you've got nothing to prove. You only have to be humble and live by grace through faith abide in Satan's economy and you exhaust yourself trying to establish and work for reasons to be confident in other words you want to stockpile something that you can lean back on you know put your elbow on while having a drink and a smoke with your buddies and say you know look at you know look at me I'm thinking I'm thinking of the old days with the 57 Chevys and stuff like that with the guys with the hoods you know popped up and they're all standing around with their rolled up sleeves and their their confidence is in their trophy car which is ridiculous where do we find our confidence grace and creature credit are antithetical they are currencies in opposing economies god's versus satan's abide in god's economy and you've got nothing to prove you only have to be humble and live by grace through faith abide in satan's economy and you exhaust yourself trying to establish and work for reasons to be confident. So life is great for the person in God's economy because any fear associated with life is wiped away by grace. However, life is misery incarnate for the person in Satan's economy because they are on a treadmill that never stops. There's no rest. Go to Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Matthew 11, 28 for some encouragement on this. Again, life is great for the person in God's economy because any fear associated with life is wiped out by grace. Life is misery incarnate for the person in Satan's economy because they are on a treadmill that never stops. Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is describing God's grace economy. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. <laughs> Take this grace from me, this grace gift called salvation, and you'll have rest. That's God's, that's God's grace economy. And it's in verse 30, it's easy, because he does all the work. The only real difficulties. Now this is when, this is harkening back to when I said having this confidence. It's, it's, it's actually simple. The only real difficulties we encounter are wrestling with our own fleshes as they engage with our enemies. That's what makes this difficult. We yoke ourselves with the enemy. And wonder why, why we're exhausted at the end of the day. We yoke ourselves with unbelievers even, and we wonder why we're miserable. The person abiding in Satan's economy doesn't have this luxury of ease. They live in fear all the time, anxiety, worry, and most of all, death itself. Something we just got a hefty reminder of this past week, starting with Sunday's resurrection special message, Death to a believer is a promotion to infinitely grander things. Death to a person abiding in Satan's economy is wrought with fear and doubt. The point is akin to how he finished on Thursday with this, quote, life is good attitude. And this was something that the Spirit gave us a few months ago now. This life is good attitude. the the resultant fruit, if you would, of all this good labor, of trying to see it all as truth, trying to realize that we have every right to be confident in Christ Jesus. That when we wake up in the morning, we should roll out of bed and say, thank you, Lord, for having a plan for me this day. Thank you for giving me another breath, another moment to bring glory to you. That's the life is good attitude. It's transcendent. It's not transactional it's transcendent it's not transactional in other words life is good not because something good just happened to you and life is not bad just because something bad just happened to you life is good because god says so abide in god's grace economy and you abide in a life is good attitude the bible tells us to be thankful for our testing be thankful when we're pressed hard, right? Back on our heels. Why? Because that's just God growing us. And he brings glory to himself in the process. Think of the book of Job. Remember our mini-series, Life is Good Because God Says So? Remember that? Maybe if you've been a little fearful this past month, that series worth is worth reviewing for you. It's only four parts, and we did it in February. Not that long ago. A lot of it be fresh in your mind. Only four parts, just saying it's four hours. Wow. If, if in your head you just said, I don't even have enough time to keep up with the current messages and blogs. Here's my response to you. You ready? And I want you to listen, because this is your shepherd speaking. Get your priorities straight. Get your priorities straight. Straight. Four words. Let me say them again. Let me slow it down for the arrogance in you. Get your priorities straight. There's always time for the word of truth. If you're beat tired, think of Paul. Or better yet, think of Jesus, who thwarted the ultimate villain in Satan at the end of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. Some of you can't go 40 minutes without taking a trip to the refrigerator. If you're beat tired, think of Paul. Think of Jesus. If you don't believe me on this, go read Matthew 4 when you get a chance. Listen, what else are you going to do with all that extra time you've got now that you're stuck at home? You're just going to use it, what, to complain some more? What are you going to do with all that extra time? gonna watch more tv what are you gonna do oh i forgot you're so busy that's laughable please all right enough of that you get the point i hope here's the point again the spirit's making and driving home on the board the life is good attitude it's transcendent not transactional this entire series 76 parts now has pivoted on the Lord is our confidence. How about this for some added perspective up here in the board? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 30. So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, whatever you do. For example, everything in your life is in view here. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do. Remember, that's the great litmus test. Is what I'm doing right now, is what I'm even thinking right now, bringing glory to God. That's the great litmus test that we should all take each and every moment in our lives. What am I doing? Is it bringing glory to God or not? If it's not, I should probably not do it. And you might be saying again, I don't know. Okay, Pastor, this all sounds great. But I don't know where to begin. And it could be an honest statement even. This all sounds great. I just don't know where to begin. It's just so much easier to abide in my routines. You see my voice? To abide in my routines, even though many of them are evil. Do you know, how smooth I got. Yeah, you know, that's that thing. That's that's being lulled. That's ah, oh, but this, you know, this this pathway that I take every day. It's just, it's like a worn out path. You know. There's no more, I've already plucked all the stuff you know, the little stones that hurt my toes. It's nice and smooth and I just take it every day and it's go, oh, ew, right? And I just sort of go like little Frankensteins. I almost said Frankenberries, I have no idea why, but <laughs> it's just so much easier to abide in my routines, even though many of them are evil. Let's reflect on this. We're only truly motivated by things we are convinced of. Which things become our priorities in life? Fair enough? We're motivated by the things we're convinced of and these things become our priorities in life. So, if you're struggling, you need a, you need a restructuring. You need to be motivated differently. You need, you need some, some more core value. You need some more work at the center. So if you're struggling, but that you know that can't be done overnight, start small. That's how we all start, don't you remember when you were first saved? You really didn't know jack. You didn't know anything. Start small. Let me. Here's the question. I hope by now I'm going to ask the question, but it's kind of rhetorical. Are you convinced that Holy Scripture is authoritative? Do you think the 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 Word of God is unerrant? is perfect, is inspired by God himself. Are you convinced that Holy Scripture is, in other words, the Word of God? Because remember, acquiring wisdom from the Word of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning. Learning the Word is the preeminent command after salvation. Preeminent. Remember? If you're a little bit Squishy on this. Then remember the passages we read earlier uh, in this message up here on the board. Proverbs 1 verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's what the Word of God has to say about you who are not in word but indeed despising wisdom and instruction by not obeying the preeminent command to study the word of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The second verse that we studied earlier was Proverbs 14, 26 to 27. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. In the fear of the Lord. Can't say that enough, my friends. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. This entire series, is the our confidence is in our Lord. The Lord is our confidence, in other words. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. That one may turn away from the snares of death. That's a great place, my friends. For those of you who are stuck, that's a great place to begin for the person stuck in a routine. The one who says, oh, this just sounds great, but I don't know where to start. Well, this is what the, this is what the Spirit's trying to do in you. He's trying to change you a little bit at a time. And be patient. God knows he's patient, right? Be patient as he goes through this with you. Take the preeminent command for what it is. Preeminent. First and foremost, learn the Word of God. I promise you. I've been there. I promise you. It all begins to come together. So this is a great place to start for the person stuck in a routine. The beauty about God's Word is that it's got every angle covered. This is what I love about the Word. You know, frankly, when my flesh is raring, sometimes I don't like it, right? (laughs) Because it's opposed to every angle. You can't lawyer your way out of, not honestly, anyways, you can't lawyer your way out of the commands of God. This is the beauty of it, though. The beauty of God's word is that it's got every angle covered, every excuse, you know, every temptation. All you have to do is obey. All you have to do is obey the Word, which, as we just noted, not a novel concept, not from this pulpit, we just noted, begins with acquiring it. (laughs) Reading your Bible, taking in the grace, this is grace, my friends, taking in the, the messages, the blogs, the Word of God, obey the Word, which begins with acquiring it. When we receive God's grace this way, with him having done all the work for us through the inspiration and teaching of it, then, my friends, we are ultimately set free by it. So, when we read, say, Romans 8, we are blown away and our confidence soars because it all begins to make sense. What did, what did Jesus say? Knock and the door will be open. Seek and you shall find. And I give you the original language on that stuff as well. Seek diligently. I believe it was the Amplified that said seek persistently. Knock persistently. When we do that thing and we start reading passages like we just read Romans 8, we're blown away and our confidence soars. Because it all begins to make sense. Because you keep going back. It's like learning to play a new instrument. Have you ever tried playing the guitar? I just started myself goofing around trying to get it right. It's hard. Fingers are all goofy and you can't get them in the right spots. And you're bumbling and it's frustrating. It's it's all heck. But I keep going back. You know, you just, you keep going back. And eventually it starts making sense eventually you stop making music. This is the same thing that goes on in our lives. We, we're blown away and our confidence soars because it all begins to make sense. But you got to be determined. you got to keep going back. you got to stay humble. We begin to truly see the big picture that God has on life. And the little skirmishes we encounter along the way with our enemies including our own fleshes, well, they too begin to make sense. They too begin to make sense. In fact, we begin to anticipate them and even cut them off at the pass, so to speak, before they can make any evil inroads into our souls. And our souls, as a result, become like fortresses. Our souls, we become like fortresses impenetrable, because we see it all as truth, my friends. We're equipped with the armor of God, the full armor of God, and our souls become like fortresses. We see our enemies far off before they even make it to our front gate and try to knock it down. As promised, our hearts are protected by the very peace of abiding in Christ, in the truth of his precious word, This is freedom in Christ, my friends. This is confidence. I want to end with a passage in Philippians. This one's for you, Deacon Johnson. As we close, go to Philippians 4, verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Again, this one's for our beloved Deacon, Deacon Johnson. He made a promise to me not that long ago about this passage. Some of you might remember it. I mentioned it from the pulpit. The promise wasn't to me, per se. He just made sort of a, a proclamation, let's say. Pro, uh, Philippians 4 4. Love this passage. Can't get sick of it. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to, to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the protection. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, like you become a fortress. The peace of God fortifies you. Which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this is where this is the the verse for DJ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I hope you're still reflecting on Philippians 4 8, every day, DJ. <laughs> like you said you would be. I don't doubt you are. And I hope the rest of you consider doing so as well. Amen? Amen. Let's bar our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word, Father. Thank you so much for setting us free. Thank you for making things simple for us. Thank you for having patience with us, Father. We know that we are undeserving, but we are so very grateful for all that you give to us by grace. Father, we just pray for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to the privacy of our own souls and our homes, and then your will be done out to a world that's just falling away from your Son, our Lord and Savior. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.